בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We're back here, starting a new week, continuing our series of Jewish Ashkafa, Be'ezot Hashem. Tonight's show will be for the Refua Shlema for Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, Avi Mori David Ben Nesriya, Imi Morati Doris Bat Jora. And all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides that continue to learn Torah with us and publicize all of the shiurim everywhere, Be'ezot Hashem. Uh, so uh, tonight we're going to continue the series, continue learning more and more about the wisdom of our holy sages uh, when it comes to medicine and science and uh, ask the big question, which is, if they had so much knowledge, why didn't they continue developing it? Uh, perhaps we would actually be much more advanced today than we, uh, we, we are, as we see that they had uh, worldly knowledge uh, that's superior in some cases than uh, the knowledge that we have today. Is there a reason why they limited it? Is there, uh, you know, is it simply something that was lost in time? These are some questions that obviously need to be asked and need to be answered. And Bezad Hashem, we will uh, not only answer them uh, through the Torah itself, Bezad Hashem, but also give uh, all of us some food for thought when it comes to how to behave in the world today. The uh, Torah Dusha has everything in it. It's just simply a matter of looking for it. You have to look for it. Afochba ve'afochba. The Kulaba. Delve into it and delve into it because everything is in it, says the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. And in this week's parasha, Parashat Vayera, we, uh, we see a uh, rather, you know, uh, um, extraordinary statement by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which kind of seems obvious at first, uh, where he says to Moshe Rabbeinu in the first pasuk, first verse of this week's parasha, in uh, chapter 6, verse number 2, God spoke to Moshe and said to him, I am Hashem. Now, obviously, this is a statement that's obvious. If Hashem is talking to you, I doubt that you're going to think it's your friend talking to you, or it's your father talking to you, or it's your neighbor talking to you. Obviously, if Hashem is talking to you, certainly... There is a uh, you know there's clarity that this is what's actually taking place here. But this is why someone that does not learn the Torah with commentary by the sages that will extrapolate every bit of knowledge from the verse to explain to you what it actually means. Without doing it, you're simply like a blind man in darkness. And this is actually a big part of the reason of why. There are so many people out there that are either worshiping idols or simply created uh, different types of religions and beliefs that are heretical according to the Torah because they simply assumed that they could just read the Torah literally without using the commentary of the sages that is obviously superior to theirs. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, I am Hashem, it's not because Moshe Rabbeinu did not know that Hashem is talking to him, but rather... He's specifically using a name that he hasn't used before when he was talking to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. V'yomer elav, ani Hashem. What does that mean? Says Rashi, 900 years ago. HaKadosh Baruch Hu over there is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, this is the name that I used, you know, that, that's always been the case, but it's not the name that I used with others. Why? Because to you I'm going to show a different part of myself where you're going to see both the reward and the punishment. And that whatever I say, that is what's going to be. 
Meaning, if I say that I'm going to reward the righteous for being righteous, then you can bet that I will reward the righteous. If I say that I will punish the wicked for being wicked and going against my Torah, whether it's by worshiping idols or distorting the Torah or uh, publicizing all types of heresy or you know violating the laws of the Torah, then you can be sure that I will punish the wicked. It's just really a matter of time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses according to his own calculations. This is also the reason why later on in the same parasha, in verse number uh, 7, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us that one of the ultimate uh, missions that a Jew has in their life is ki ani Adonai that you will know that I am God, I am Hashem, your God. What does it mean that you will know? How come he doesn't say that you will believe? Because belief is something that can come and go. Belief is something that grows over time or shrinks depending on whether the person is developing that, that, uh, that belief. But knowledge of God, that's something that never changes. Meaning, once a blind man sees the color blue, even if you take him back to blindness, he will forevermore know what the color blue looks like. Once you provide someone with true knowledge, it doesn't matter what the world will do to him, he will always possess that knowledge. And this is one of the most critical missions that a person has in their life which is the knowledge of God not just the belief in God but rather the knowledge of God and not just that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh not just the knowledge that uh, God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu but literally God's existence in every single second of your life to the extent where you not only know that he rewards and punishes the you know rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked but he is also judging you according to that same exact measure every single thought every single statement every single feeling is something that is going to be judged and for anyone out there that is questioning for example things like how do we know that god uh, knows what we feel or what we're thinking just reverse back to last week's parasha where Moshe Rabbeinu is a, uh, sees the, uh, the burning bush that's not being consumed and he says to himself, meaning he thinks that this is obviously strange. Here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us, I, can, I know your thoughts. It's not that he's reading our thoughts, he simply knows them. So, which is obviously a completely different uh, uh, elements just simply because it's if you're reading somebody's thoughts you're you know you need certain things to do that there's a certain amount of effort made Akadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need to make any effort to know all of our thoughts exactly at the same time that they're happening so when a person has knowledge of God their life changes when a person has belief in God life changes but it's circumstantial it depends on the circumstance. If you have certain belief in God through difficult times, it certainly will help you. You don't have belief during that time, but you have belief in other times, obviously it will change things. So we have to understand that in our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, one of the most important things that a person must know is where they stand. Where they stand, how to treat the Holy Torah how to apply it to their life.
and how to make sure that this is the instruction set that is guiding their life. Shlomo HaMelech says in the first verse of Mishle, Proverbs, Mishle Shlomo ben David, Melech Yisrael, ladat chokma umusar leavin imre bina, lakachat musar eskel, tzedek umishpat umesharim. The Proverbs of Shlomo, the son of David, king of Israel, in order to make known words of wisdom and discipline, to make words of understanding discernible. So here, Shlomo Melech is giving us the manual, if you will, of how to read Proverbs. What is the point of Proverbs? To accept wise discipline, righteousness, justice, and fairness. What does it mean to accept wise discipline, righteousness, and just justice and fairness? What does that actually mean? Now, of course, someone that will uh, look at it from a first, uh, uh, you know, just a simple point of view, just the pshat of the pasuk, which is, of course, to accept discipline, have some type of discipline in your life, have, uh, you know, seek righteousness, Obviously, you have to have uh, justice, meaning that you can't just uh, be always righteous and let people walk over you because there's a time where there are wicked people out there that are looking to take advantage of weak people, take advantage of ignorant people. And with them, if you're simply going to say, ah, just let it go, let it go, you know, like the, uh, the idol worshippers say, if they slap you on one cheek, give them the other, that's not Judaism, that's not Torah. Why? There's a time for justice, meaning there's a time that you have to be zealous. There's a time that you have to deliver justice, which means punishment. And fairness, meaning don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. If somebody, let's say, you know, took $5 from you, a little kid stole 5 bucks from your pocket, don't give him a beating of a lifetime where he's walking around with bruises for a week. That's not fairness. Everything has to be in accordance to what the Torah says. Everything has to be fair. So this is the very basic, very basic understanding of this few words. But if you go a little deeper and you look at the words of the sages like the Gaon Vilna, he tells us here that Tzedek Mishpat, if one is uh, looking to take Musar Eskel, Musar Eskel means successful musar, successful teachings. Not just teachings, but successful teachings. Things that you know have worked, things that you know have a track record. Don't just look to, uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, take things based on your own personal preference. For example, you know, there are many people that are like, you know, either drunk in reality or just, uh, uh, you know, simply drunk mentally where they'll take certain things that are said, whether it's in a Torah or it's a, uh, a lecture, and they'll interpret it in such a weird way that you ask yourself, how did you get there? How did you get there? One of the reasons why the entire book of Genesis is called Sefer Yesharim, the, the book of the straight, is because our forefathers, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, were straight. What does that mean, straight? It wasn't enough to just know the Torah because even the people that lived at the time of the Bet HaMikdash, the second Bet HaMikdash, there were many of them that knew extraordinary amount of Torah, but they judged crooked. 
they judged according to their own uh, uh, personal preferences and thereby leading to the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were straight, meaning that aside from knowing the Torah, they acted in accordance to what the Torah says, regardless of whether it's, uh, to, uh, it's uh, favorable to their personal preference or not. So Musar Eskel is to having a straight mind. Having a straight mind. So if a person doesn't have a straight mind, they're always going to conclude the wrong way. For example, one of the uh, you know, great examples that Rabbi Ephraim gives is that there was once a, uh, a meeting at a, one of these Alcoholics Anonymous types of places. And uh, the first meeting with this group, you know, obviously the group is full of alcoholics that are there to help themselves finally. The teacher himself, a recovering alcoholic, wasn't exactly the brightest person in the, uh, in the uh, brightest tool in the shed. First meeting, he just takes a bucket and he starts taking a couple of bottles of liquor. Everyone is salivating over this because, you know, they obviously want to drink it and he starts pouring them into the bucket. Pours them, pours them, pours them. Everyone is even more interested now. Then he takes a worm, a worm, a living worm, and he throws it into the bucket. And within a few moments... Everyone is looking at this worm, slowly but surely, die. So then he asks his intelligent students, new students, so what did you conclude out of this? The conclusion he's hoping for is that if this liquor does this much damage to a worm, what is it doing to your body? But one of the people raises their hand and says, I got it, I got it. He says, yes, sir. What is your conclusion? He says, if we drink enough, we're not going to have any stomach problems when it comes to worms. <laughs> so now, on one hand, it's funny. On the other hand, it's very sad. Why? Because this type of warped logic, this type of, of demented logic, unfortunately, sometimes will run somebody's life where they'll assume that they know a lot more than they do and thereby rely on their own intellect, rely on their own knowledge, rely on their own experience, bypassing the knowledge of the Holy Torah and its sages and assume incorrectly. So this is why we emphasize and re-emphasize over and over again, practically in every lecture, the importance of understanding that if you're going to learn Torah, you must use the words of the sages. Without it, you're a blind man walking in darkness. So here Shlomo HaMelech is telling us, Lakachat Musar Eskel, take successful Musar, meaning Musar that you have to learn how to learn. Musar. Tzedek umishpat umesharim. What's this Tzedek umishpat umesharim? Says the Gaon Mivilna. Tzedek, that's translatable to righteousness is also representing a Kadosh Baruch Hu's trait of mercy. Mishpat represents a Kadosh Baruch Hu trait of judgment. If a person knows that a Kadosh Baruch Hu has both 
mercy and judgment it's good but it's not enough he must know when HaKadosh Baruch Hu will use them and thereby comes Mesharim the fairness so long as you know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu rewards and punishes you're already on the right track but if you know when HaKadosh Baruch Hu rewards and when HaKadosh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes you're on a perfect track you're on the right on the road to success and you'll understand the teachings of the sages whether it's the Allahic teachings the Musar teachings and everything else and you'll also be able to learn and understand what we're going to learn tonight from the Chazonish explaining to us a few more examples of the extraordinary knowledge medical and scientific knowledge of the holy sages and answering the question of why they did not develop it further after we learned in last week's shiu that the knowledge of the sages about rabies and how there was certain things that would happen to a person physically we see here that the knowledge of the sages was not something that necessarily required all of the heavy you know expensive equipment of today they had knowledge but now he's going to give us a few more examples to show us some actual practice of this knowledge he starts off by bringing up the Gemara in Maseret Bava Metziah, page 85b. And it says there, Shmuel Yachina was Rebbe's doctor. Shmuel Yachina in the Gemara is usually just called Shmuel. But uh, he's sometimes referred to as Shmuel Yachina, and the reason why is because his knowledge was so extraordinary that he was able to tell you the uh all of the different uh knowledge of the astro- astrological knowledge the renewal of the moon and the Gemara in Masechet Abu Dazara, he says that I can already give you all of the dates of when the moon will be renewed until Mashiach comes that's why they called him Shmuel Yerchina Shmuel the moon meaning he had knowledge superior knowledge in regards to the, the the heavens what what happens out you know in the uh, in outer space and he was obviously not just a regular person he was a great sage an extraordinary uh Talmit Chacham but he was also Rebbe Rabbi Udan Nasi's doctor now before we go into this example for one who doesn't really understand what does it mean to know about the renewal of the moon or uh the uh all of this stuff it's it's we're going to give some examples from the rambam to show us how little we do know how little we do know in comparison to the holy sages the rambam in ilchoto uh, in Chot um, Kiddush HaChodesh he gives us a lot of different details halachic details of when the renewal of the moon happens the whole process but then if you go on to chapter 6 and after you'll get lost 
Why? The Rambam starts telling you different details of time, how time is deciphered, how it's a uh, uh, split up, how it's considered when it comes to the uh, to, to counting measurements, and then he starts giving you the details of the different distance between us and the moon, us and the sun. He starts off telling us that a, an hour can be divided into 1,080 units. Why at 1,080 units? Because this number was chosen because it could be divided into half, into quarters, into eighths, into thirds, into sixths, into ninths, and into tenths. Now there are sages that say, well, the number 360 could also do that. Why did he use this larger number? And there's a whole debate about why he used the larger number versus the smaller number. But the point is that we see here already the measurements, the measurement system that's used by our sages is quite different than us, where, you know, today you use, you know, the uh, a minute is 60 seconds and, you know, people know 60 seconds. An hour is 60 minutes and people know 60 minutes. But even though the Rambam already talks about the 24-hour system and the seven days a week that, of course, is already determined uh, in the, the book of Genesis, the only reason why the seven days a week across the board for all of society throughout all of the ages is because of the Holy Torah. Otherwise, there would simply be no reason for there to be seven days a week. Needless to say, 24 hours a day. But just because there's 24 hours a day doesn't mean that you have to divide it the same way and use it the same way. So the Rambam already gives you a little bit of extra knowledge by telling you that this, uh, the way that they're doing their measurements is by splitting up the, uh, the hour into 1,080 units. Then he starts giving you the different types of calculations according to the lunar year, which there's, you know, there's a uh, 12 months. It would uh, include 354 days, 8 hours, 872, uh, 876 units, whereas a leap year has 13 of these months, which would include 383 days, 23, 21 hours, 589 units, and a solar year will have 365 days, 6 hours, but thus the solar year exceeds an ordinary lunar year by 10 days, 21 hours, 204 units, and then you just, the math just continues getting bigger and bigger, more and more complex. By the time you finish each halakha, you're confused. You still think that you know what you're doing until you get to chapter 13. Why? Because once you get to chapter 13 of Ilchot Kiddush HaChodesh, you admit that you have no idea what's going on. You simply admit that you have no idea what's going on. Where he's talking about the relationship between the mean position and the true position of the sun. The Ramban, 800 years ago, is giving you astrological information that is second to none before the invention of the telescope before the supercomputers before all of that and he gives you the different degrees the 160 degrees resulting in an angle that's 42 minutes and so on and so forth 
Now, once you get there, you pretty much conclude that you have no idea what he's talking about. The astrological knowledge that the Rambam has is superior to your brain power. Then you say, you know what? Let me read the commentary. The commentary on the Rambam. So you go and you look at the commentary of the Rambam. You complete the commentary and you realize I don't have the brain function to even understand the commentary of the Rambam. I know even less than I thought. Then you go and you say, you know what? Let me go to the Chazonish. The Chazonish's commentary. You go to Chazonish or Chaim in Siman 115 where he discusses this. And now you're even more confused because to understand the Chazonish requires a different brain. And unless you borrow the Chazonish's brain, most likely you're not going to understand what's going on. Perhaps if you go to Rav Kanievsky's book just about the Kiddush HaChodesh, you'll understand some. Until now, you read what the Rambam said. You read the commentary in the Rambam. You read the Chazonish's commentary on the commentary in the Rambam. And then you read and understood some of what you read from Rav Kanievsky just when he's covering just part of it. What's the point? Knowing where we stand. When we say that the smartest person on the planet is closer to a monkey than he is to the Rambam, we're not saying that as an insult. It's simply a statement of fact. Now, until a person understands that, they'll feel free to criticize what the Rambam said or what other sages said, not realizing what they're criticizing and who they're criticizing. So when our holy sages made certain statements, as we mentioned last week, even if you don't know of science that agrees with it, you don't see how logic agrees with it, you don't understand how they could say such a thing, it's safe to assume that they are right and we are insufficient. So now, when they're telling us that Shmuel, Yerachnia, is called that name because of his superior knowledge, and he lived nearly a thousand years before the Rambam, and we can't even understand the Rambam. Now we're understanding this is not just some ordinary doctor. This is not just some ordinary doctor that, you know what, he's trying to make a few dollars, trying to make a name for himself. This is one of the great sages that also happens to be a doctor. And he is the doctor for none other than Rebbe Akadosh, Rabbi Udanasi. Rebbe Akadosh himself, who never really needs an introduction, but sometimes a reminder. Rebbe Akadosh is the one that put together our Mishnah. Until then, until the time of Rebbe Akadosh and Rabbi Natan, the 
oral Torah was transmitted from rabbi to student, from father to son, all orally. They would go to the Bet Midrash. Each one would mention their, their teachings. Others would learn from it. Another one would mention their teachings. And this is how it transmitted from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu until then. But as Rabbi Akadosh saw that the generations are getting lower and lower in spiritual intellect and their capability of remembering everything is deteriorating, he thereby decided to write down the Mishnah, but not every teaching that they had, rather the core section of it. Six sedarim, six segments of the of the Mishnah. There are many baraitot that are available, but were not included in the Mishnah. But the point being is, is that Rabbi Kadosh, as the Rambam calls him, he was the Isha Shalim. He was the complete person, complete person where his knowledge was second to none. So much so that the sages during his time said that if the Mashiach would arrive now, Rebbe would be him. Rebbe, Rabbi Udanasi, the one that lived about 1700 or almost 2000 years ago. Now Rebbe, the Gemara in Maseret Baba Metziah says he had an extraordinary amount of suffering in his life that some was given to him, some he took upon himself. And the Gemara in Maseret Baba Metziah, page 85a, says that he called his suffering his beloved suffering. And he accepted 13 years of suffering upon himself. This was to elevate his neshama even further. As those that understand the value of suffering and know that they could still serve Hashem at the highest level despite the suffering we're able to ask for suffering. In today's world, no one needs to ask for suffering. Number one, because it comes by itself. And number two, because most people can barely serve Hashem at their fullest potential, even without suffering. They get to a parking spot and someone takes it from them. They already think this is considered kaparat avanot, as if it's going to wipe out half of their sins. Somebody cuts off off on the highway, they already think they're going to go to the Gan Eden of, Shl- of uh, Shlomo HaMelech. So... It's important for a person to know where they stand. Again, we learn this not necessarily because we're going to do the same thing they did as far as ask for suffering, pray for suffering, but rather because we need to know where they stand, where we are, why we should learn from them and take their words as the words of the living God. Because what they're teaching us is what God told us at Mount Sinai. And this Rabbi Akadosh, during the 13-year suffering that he took upon himself, he had six years of Tzemira, and seven years of Tzefarna. Tzemira is the equivalent of a um, kidney stones. And Tzefarna is some type of mouth disease known as thrush. Rebbe was a very, very wealthy man, materially wealthy, so much so that he had hundreds of horses that his stableman became a millionaire just because his payment was the manure of Rebbe's horses. He was taking care of the horses, his payment, the 
collect all the manure, do whatever you want with it. He became a multi-millionaire from this. Imagine that. Now this stableman was also a very righteous man, wanted to protect the honor of Rebbe. So he would make sure to feed the horses at the same time that Rebbe was about to go to relieve himself. Why? Because as soon as he started feeding the horses, they'd make a lot of noise that you could hear from three miles away. Hundreds of horses, five, six hundred horses are all making uh, the, uh, the, their, their sounds, their horse sounds, that you could hear this far away, three miles away, the Gemara says. But the Gemara says that Rebbe's screaming of agony when he went to relieve himself in the bathroom was even higher than the horses. They would still hear him. Despite the effort of a stableman. That's how much Rabbi Akadosh suffered. Now during one of these times, the Gemara says, Rabbi Akadosh had a horrible eye ailment that caused him a lot of pain. It wasn't just something that bothered him, made his uh, eyes swell up, because for that, as we saw from my own personal experiences with it in the last few months, in the last few years, simply you put on you know, some uh, black glasses, hide it from the world, and hope that the antibiotics and some of the other medicines that uh, uh, you take will make it go away before, it's, uh, you, know, before you lose your mind. <laughs> other than that, there's not much else to do. But here, Rabbi Kadus is suffering from pain and agony. And Shmuel, Shmuel comes to him and he sees that he's suffering from this eye illness and he wants to help him. And as the Chazunish continues and he says the story and he says that Shmuel Yachnia suggested that he put an ointment into his eye. Rabbi said, no, I cannot endure this procedure. It's too, too painful. For you to put this in my eye, it would be too much. I, I know my body. There's no way that I can handle it. And we find out later on that obviously this is, wasn't just because Rebbe was afraid of pain. He understood the medicine no less than Shmuel. He also understood his body. So then Shmuel says, okay, fine. I'll apply it to the outside of your eye, meaning on the eyelids. Still, Rebbe said, no, no, no. I cannot endure this idea. Why? Rebbe understood the skin, the eyelids, there's five layers of skin, five different uh, parts to the skin. And he knew that the sensitivity of his eye, it would not be able to endure this medicine. Not be able to endure this medicine. So Shmuel, Unlike the doctors of today, where as soon as you disagree with them, they yell at you, they mock you, sometimes even kick you out of their office, because how could you not listen to me? I went to medical school for a million years. You know, that type of stuff. Shmuel understood why should we take a risk. If Rebbe is telling us no, obviously there's a reason here. He is suffering He's not telling us no because he's scared of pain. He's not telling us no because uh, 
uh, you know, of any other reason because other than the fact that this is the, you know, no is the right answer. But we still need a cure. Okay, fine, he says. So Shmuel placed the medicinal ointment that he had in a hollow tube and put it under his head. Chachamim say it was not just under his head directly, but rather under a pillow of some kind that Rebbe was laying on, under that, and he would lay on it. Meaning that there is, it's not only not on his eye, not on his eyelids, it's not even touching his skin. And the Gemara says, and he was still healed. The power of the medication, says the Chazonish, permeated the skull and the brain all the way to the eyes of Rebbe. Here, Rabotai, we're seeing a, medic- a medicine that simply does not exist. Number one, we see, obviously, something unbelievable. Something so extraordinary, we wish we had it at every pharmacy, at every doctor, or at least at every specialist. A medicine that could work without even applying it to the body. Second thing is, we also see the wealth of knowledge that Rebbe had, not just Shmuel. Shmuel, it's obvious he had knowledge. Look at how look at this cure. That's needless to say, but we also see the knowledge of Rebbe, how he knew that the potency of this medicine was too much for his eye to bear. Had he put it on his eye or even on his eyelid, it could very well have exploded his eye, hurt his eye, caused more damage than good. So even though it was good. The application was, uh, you know, had to be uh, catered. Another example the Chazonish brings is in the Gemara in Masechet Chulin, page 57b, where it's told of a sheep that had a piece of its throat torn out. Apparently, either was bitten by some animal, maybe caught on some fence, something happened, and its throat opened up. This obviously, you know, you have the uh, two type of, you know, uh, uh, canals that you need. One is for, you know, is a, uh, for food, and the other one's for breathing. And here you have this sheep, with its throat torn out. They took a length of hollow reed, length of hollow reed, and placed it there, and it lived. Again, another extraordinary example of the knowledge of the sages, where they took what seems to be simple, but anyone that knows even a little bit about medicine knows that this is this requires not only precision and expertise, but literally endless amount of knowledge of how the body works. How the body works, how, how the, the, the creation itself works, what to use, how to use it. Instead of just simply saying, okay, the sheep, let it just go as a kapara, it's gone, we'll feed it to the dogs. No, what do they do? 
They put something, they put a reed there in his throat and allowed it to continue breathing, continue living. Today, there's obviously people that have you know, uh, major uh, health issues uh, where uh, they have to have uh, their, uh, you know, their throat opened up and then a tube is put in there. It's a whole process. It's uh, obviously uh, very, very dangerous and unfortunately uh, done when, necess- when necessary. But they, I remember uh, meeting somebody uh, when I went to, uh, I did a, a few lectures in California maybe eight years ago or so. I, uh, I met somebody that had uh, surgery on his, uh, several of them, on his, uh, on his throat where he had, to, uh, they had to have so many different procedures and so on, he had to replace his voice box. So when he would, uh, when he would talk, he had to have some type of uh, microphone next to this uh, voice box that he had in his throat. And, you know, would talk with, a, you know, obviously a, a unusual voice. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the beginning, you're a little bit, you know, uh, uncomfortable. In reality, there's no reason for you to be uncomfortable. He's the one that has the, the issue. You should uh, thank a Kadosh Baruch Hu that you don't have it. And also thank Kadosh Baruch Hu that there's medicine available out there to help people like him. But further, after that, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating how this thing, this whole thing works. And I think that he replaces it every so often as uh, technology advances and so on. Point is that it's a uh, very nice guy too, by the way. Um, and um, anyway, the, uh, these types of things happen in the world. Now, if you were to tell me that this happened to a person and then they spent a lot of money to help him, by all means. But as far as helping some sheep... Usually if a sheep got bitten by somebody, you let that bite do its thing, you let nature do its thing, and uh, you know that sheep is probably going to be somebody's lunch. But here we see the sages apparently did not feel the need to let this sheep die and perform a surgery to save its life. In the same place the Gemara says, which the Chazonish brings another example, Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta had a chicken whose thigh bone became dislocated. The thigh bone of a chicken becomes dislocated and they made a hollow tube from a reed and it lived. So we see again the sages take some type of reed know exactly where to put it and how to put it in order to save that chicken's life. Now, from the looks of it, all of a sudden, all of these millions and tens of millions of dollars that people donate for the sake of saving the dolphin that only has one fin or saving the horse with three legs or saving the dog with only two legs or saving the butterflies that are almost extinct, all of that sounds, wow, that's a righteous cause. Look, the sages did it. That's the wrong Musar to understand. That's the wrong Musar to understand. Why? The Gemara didn't tell us, this is what you should do with your time. It's simply giving us examples of the breadth of knowledge 
and expertise of the sages, not just in matters of Torah, but also in worldly things. Now, how do we know that you shouldn't go and spend, you know, sell your house and go save some dolphin that has one fin, one fin or save the, the, the horse with three teeth? How, how do we know that you shouldn't go out there and become one of these people that lives with the tigers and the lions? Because you want to make sure they're not extinct. How do we, how do we make sure of that? How do, we, how do we make sure you don't do that? Very simple. So far we understood the Rambam's knowledge is superior to ours. If you haven't, just go to the places that I told you. And you'll quickly realize it is. Then we realized that the doctor here. The doctor, Shmuel, knew even more than the Rambam. Meaning, if the Rambam, is, his knowledge is beyond our brain capacity, Shmuel might as well be in a different world altogether. Then we understood that Rebbe knew no less than him, as he obviously knew his body. And we see the cure of a horrible eye ailment without even touching the body. Something that's not available in the world today. Then we see a couple of other examples of using this on sheep to, uh, to, to, to help them, giving them a, something that is available in the world today but perhaps not really used, or the chicken, fine. But after that, we don't see Shmuel or Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta, or any of the other sages, go out there and start marketing this knowledge that they have to cure chickens and sheep and the eyesight of anyone that has an eye ailment. They're not putting any billboards up. They're not putting any commercials. They're not being. Uh, they're not even known for this. They're not known as the doctors. They're not known as the veterinarians. They're not known as the people that were experts in medicine or science. Rather, they're all known as Torah sages, meaning they, did, they chose not to develop this, intentionally chose not to develop this. Why? That's the big question. Why not develop this extraordinary knowledge where if you already had medicine that was able to cure an eye ailment without even touching the patient and you add another 2,000 years worth of development on that by now you should be able to do it through email if you add medicine that was able to save the sheep 2,000 years ago by now the sheep should be saving himself if you had knowledge of how to fix the chicken's hip by now, the, chip, the chicken should be a sports medicine expert healing all the uh, athletes that keep hurting themselves every week. The, the, the chicken should be the doctor by now. Meaning that if you let this knowledge continue developing, as we've seen in the rest of the world, obviously it would develop much further. So why not spend more time into it? That's really the big question. 
The same goes with the Rambam's knowledge. If his knowledge of astrology was so advanced, why didn't he just dedicate all of his life to astrology? The Rambam says he has studied all of the wisdoms, not just astrology, but all of the wisdoms, and they're all inconsequential in front of the queen, which is the Torah. They're all nothing in comparison to the Torah. Not because the Torah obligates you to study her. Not because the Torah is, a, uh, is, is, uh, is interesting and you're obligated to mitzvot, but rather because the mental capacity we required for the Torah is far more advanced than all of the other wisdoms put together. Now one that has never really toiled in Torah, this all sounds foreign to them. How could that be? And that's why Chazonish gives us examples of geniuses, of extraordinary minds, of actual experts in things that are beyond our scope of knowledge and understanding who simply decided they're not going to do this. This is not going to be their everyday thing. They'll use it when necessary. But they're not going to put any billboards up. They're not going to put any, you know, they're not going to make any Google account to market their business. They're not going to give out flyers. They're not going door to door. They're not even going to give you a business card. Why? They're too busy learning Torah in a Bet Midrash. Why is that? First, the Chachamim teach us from this, why waste time in this world for this world when you can use this time to develop the world of eternity? Meaning, yes, whether they, there's a whole debate about whether all of the knowledge of the sages came from Ruach HaKodesh or they learned some of it when it comes to medicine and science from the wise people among the nations, the uh, Rabbi Avram ben Rambam, the son of the Rambam, says that some of the knowledge of the sages was not from the Torah, but rather was something that they saw, you know, from other people doing it. Sometimes they would learn this in the bathroom when they can't learn Torah. Other times just simply through, you know, walking through life, they would see somebody do something and they would, do, they would learn how to do it pretty, you know, relatively quickly. But they didn't make it a thing. They didn't make it their life. They didn't make it a career, if you will. The Torah was their career. The Torah was their life. Why? First answer is, why waste time in this world for this world? When you can use that time to develop the next world of eternity. Meaning, why should I spend more time to develop a better medicine for this eye ailment or for this, you know, problems with the, uh, the, the neck or the problems with the hip or the problems with any other type of medicine where, okay, so I'll help another person have better eyesight. I'll, have, I'll help another sheep live. I'll help another human live. But the best case scenario, they just live in this world. And I've spent all of that time for them to live in this world. This world that is going to end. Because even if you cure their eyes or their neck or their heart 
or their back, or whatever it is that you cured. Number one, they could still die the next day from something else. Number two, you yourself are not assured of a better place in the eternal world due to what you just did. Because you could be giving more life to Hitler. Just like that Jewish doctor saved the little baby that came to him. His mom obviously brought this baby. Sick, deathly ill, not functioning. And she brought him to the Jewish doctor. And the Jewish doctor saw that this baby is in bad shape, gave him a very strong medicine, and quickly the life came back to this baby and he told the mother famously, little Adolf Hitler will be okay. So even if you gave more life to this person, how do you know this person is not going to be the next Adolf Hitler? How do you know that more life is not necessarily a good thing? Now again, we're very grateful to have doctors in the world and medicine in the world and all the developments that are out there that can give people a better life, less pain, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, and, 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 and generally more longevity, at least theoretically speaking. It's certainly good that there is more medicine and that there is more doctors and there is more hospitals and there is more of all of this. But why should you do it? You, young Jewish man, that could go and invest more time to learn Torah, apply that Torah to get more of eternity rather than more of this world. That is one of the ideological problems that you have in the world, especially in the West, where people invest their entire life as if they're only going to live one life. You know, the famous saying, you only live once, is a heretical saying. Why? Because although you live in this world, this one time, and if you die, obviously the body is not going to just simply wake up and go back and start again like a video game. But this world is not your only life. In Judaism, we know that there is a real life that's after this world that's determined based on the actions that you take in this world. If you live according to the Torah, and you follow the Torah and you're righteous, once a person ends their life here, not with their own hand, but rather it ends in some other way, whether whatever Hashem chooses, that person goes to the Bed Din of Shemaim. And over there they will decide what your actions were, what your actions weren't, whether you're righteous or wicked, not according to your understanding or your neighborhood's understanding or your mother's understanding, but according to the Torah. And if you lived according to the Torah, you are now going to go to a place of good for eternity. Eternity is something that is not comprehensible to a human brain because we have no concept of what timelessness is. There's no way a person can understand what timelessness is because everything we do is dependent on time. Everything is connected to time in some way or another because time is connected to matter, to material. And everything we have in our world is, 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 is physical, is material. 
So therefore, everything that we do is connected to some form of time. So when you say that you go to a place of eternity, immediately a person thinks, oh yeah, it's just going to last forever. But you don't really know what that means. You go to a place where there's no time. There's no boundaries. Meaning that the good that you get is insurmountable. It's not something that you can possibly comprehend. And the only analogy that we can give to at least give a little bit of a taste of what that good is, as the sages teach us in Pirkei Avot, if you take the good in a person's life, assuming that person lives a complete life, let's just say they lived a hundred years, okay? Out of a hundred years, we know that they already spend 30 years sleeping. That's gone. 30, 35 years, they're sleeping. Another 30, 35 years, another third of it, they're taking care of bodily needs. They're doing all types of other things that are not any form of joy whatsoever. What's left is the other 30 years. Out of that 30 years, part of it they're working, part of it they're eating, part of it they're drinking, part of it they're procreating, part of it they're doing all types of other things. Now the truth is, anyone that's old enough and mature enough to go this far knows that out of that 30 years, you're not going to enjoy even half of that 30 years. If you could enjoy 5% of that last remaining 30 years, you're already in good shape. But let's just be generous and say you enjoyed 10% of it. Meaning, three, three and a half years out of that time that you actually lived in the world of a hundred years, you actually enjoyed. Let's just, you know, imagine that you have three and a half years. Because in reality, even if you like food, usually the biggest joy is the first one or two bites. After that, it's just like any other food. Even if you enjoy procreation, how much can you possibly enjoy? There's the first few seconds, or even if you enjoy the entire act, that's only a matter of moments. You talked about it, you thought about it, you imagined it perhaps for hours or days or even months, but the actual act is not very long. Even if you're uh, in great shape, still, in comparison to your entire time that you've focused and thought about it, not very long. And how often can you do it? Let's say a person can, does it every single day, he's like a rabbit. Take, add another 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes. It's, a, it's fractions of a day. You enjoy a vacation? Yeah, in theory, it's more enjoyable than the actual vacation. Why? Because the hassle of going to the airport, the hassle of packing, the hassle of unpacking, the hassle of dealing with all of the different people that you don't know, you don't understand their language, the hassle of finding your place, the hassle of losing your luggage, the hassle of finding something to do, because once you got there, you thought somebody's going to do something for you. In reality, out of that whole week of vacation, maybe you enjoy two hours. The best part of a vacation for everyone is usually coming home. But nonetheless, they'll still go to a vacation and spend another fortune on the next one. Nonetheless, even if you enjoyed the whole vacation, a week, it's still only one week out of an entire year. Still only one week out of an entire year. So if you really take 35 years of actual life out of the 100, 10% of it you enjoyed. We're being extremely generous. And the older you are, the more you know I'm being generous. Because real life is not exactly the most enjoyable when you look at it in that perspective. 
Now, if someone were to tell you that you can get all three and a half years of joy that you're going to get in a hundred years, but you can put it all in a little vial over there, make it into a little, you know, medicine type, call it Barona, Barona, not Corona, because, you know, that's somebody else's medicine. Anyway, you call Barona, you enjoy it. When they give you that shot, you're going to enjoy the whole thing, all three and a half years, just like that. Of course, this is the high of all highs. This is the joy of all joys. If you, if, if, you, if a person continues to struggle along every single day and hopes that he's going to enjoy that one hour out of the vacation or that 20 minutes of uh, being intimate, of that uh, two minutes of eating or the five minutes of whatever else he's going to do, you tell him you're going to take all of that for an entire lifetime and enjoy it in a single shot, that's amazing. Who's not going to take it? Now, if you do that to one person, and you can make such a medicine, you'd be a billionaire in 24 hours. Now, the sages say, it's not just his joy, but if you take the joy of every single person that ever lived from the beginning of creation until the end, meaning from the beginning, from Adam Rishon until Mashiach comes, all of the people that ever lived, meaning all of the kings, all of the queens, all of the rich people, all of the powerful people, all of the people that had perhaps an extra level of joy than the rest of mankind. And you take all of their joy and put it into that same little needle. Perhaps if you don't like needles, we'll give you a pill. Also comes in pill format. But just don't forget, it's not Corona, Barona. $9.99. Now, you take the joy of everybody and you give it to somebody. How much is that going to cost? If I said being a billionaire in 24 hours off of one, something like this is being a billionaire in 24 seconds is already a lot. The sages teach us all of the joy that potion that I'm telling you about Barona for only $9.99 is not comparable to a single hour that a righteous Jew is going to feel for even one mitzvah that they did for one mitzvah that a righteous person is going to feel when they get to Gan Eden. just you compare a whole lifetime of every single person and only the joy aspect of it. Not the stomach aches, not the headaches, not the heart aches, not the disease aches, not the money aches, not the nothing aches. Only good cannot compare to a single hour in Olamaba. When a person understands this, at least to their capacity, it becomes easier to understand what the sages are telling us here. Why waste time in this world for this world when one can use this time to develop 
the next world of eternity why waste the time being the expert doctor that heals all types of cows and chickens being the extra expert doctor that cures cancer and gives people more life theoretically speaking why if i can spend more time learning torah applying this torah to my life perfecting myself and enabling myself to have not just one mitzvah and one hour of joy in olam but an infinite amount of mitzvot and an infinite amount of joy why waste my time hence the first reason of why the sages did not develop their medical and scientific expertise and remain sages of Torah. Another example of it would be simply if you had a world-renowned expert in diamonds and you know that every time this guy works on a diamond, they're not going to give him small diamonds, they're not going to give him worthless diamonds. I mean, in today's diamond market, almost all diamonds are becoming worthless simply because the, the ones that you make in a lab are better as i've always said 15 years ago when they first came out but nonetheless let's just say diamond cutting is still valuable theoretically speaking you give this guy some serious diamonds because you know that if he cuts the diamond that diamond's gonna shine even if it doesn't want to that diamond's gonna shine when everybody's sleeping he's gonna wake them up that's how much it's gonna shine He's so good at cutting diamonds, the diamond winks at him and says, thank you. So now, each time you give this guy work, you're only going to give him the multi-million dollar diamonds because you know that every hour of this guy working is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now one day, you see this world-renowned expert. He's not in his office. You ask the secretary, where is he? I don't know, I think he's, uh, he's outside. You go outside, looking 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 you see the guy is sitting on the floor playing with rocks you go up to him you look at the guy see what he's doing he's playing with rocks and he's cutting he's chiseling the little rocks that he found in the street what are you doing he said i'm working what do you mean you're working i have rocks over here i'm cutting them what, what do you mean I have a diamond over here, $25 million diamond. He goes, no, no, I'm busy right now. I can't do it. What do you mean? But what are you doing? He goes, I told you I'm working. What do you mean you're working? He goes, what? You don't see the diamond over here? You don't see the, the rock over here? He goes, yeah, but that's a rock. That's, that's, that's a rock that you, you don't even, at best, maybe it'll be worth $1 if people want to be nice to you. He goes, no, 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 this is a rock. I'm cutting it. I'm doing my job. This is a sick person. There are a lot of sick people, Rabotai. There are a lot of sick people. Perhaps they're not outside chiseling rocks. But there are a lot of people that are wasting their life chasing a dream to succeed in one world and disregarding the next world. Now, there's no problem of succeeding in this world. If a Kadosh Baruch wants you to be successful, you'll be successful, just like Rabbi Kadosh 
just a few moments ago I told you he was very very wealthy not because of his own uh, business prowess or his uh, uh, exerting himself in being a businessman there are several sages that were very wealthy Rabbi Akiva was wealthy Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah was wealthy and, and Rabbi Akadosh was wealthy several of them were very wealthy but it's not because they made business their top priority or anything Hashem decided to bless them the point being is is that despite their wealth despite their knowledge and worldly knowledge despite their ability in becoming even wealthier even more successful they did not waste their time why because it would be like this crazy diamond cutter that is abandoning a 25 million dollar diamond just to play with rocks that he found in the street valuing them the same way if you have the ability to go and sit down and open a Gemara open Shulchan Aruch open a Tosfot open a, a even Rashi and the basic commentary on the weekly parasha and you don't because you rather play on the internet and see a few more TikTok videos of how people do do it themselves to fix something in their house or how somebody ran really fast in some sport or how people gamble and pretend like they're playing honest or how people do whatever it is that they're doing instead of learning Torah you went and wasted your time forget about the guy that wasted his time chasing a a a, a degree to be an expert in medicine that I know I'm not gonna win most people's minds because most people are like nah come on it's crazy well I'm not gonna be a doctor now okay so go be a doctor but at the very least don't just be a doctor that lived for one world at the very least don't just be a businessman that lives for one world at the very least use all of your time outside of that profession that you have whatever it may be to learn and support Torah because if you don't you yourself will know how crazy you are but only after it's too late only after it's too late the other reason why which are easier perhaps to swallow of why the sages did not develop this scientific and medical knowledge further was simply of understanding of what Shlomo HaMelech said in the first Proverbs that I mentioned which is to know when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is using his judgment of mercy or judgment of you know decree a decree that's perhaps not exactly ideal although always fair is that the sages understood very clearly and lived by the fact that the decree from heaven mocks your ishtadlut what does it mean decree from heaven mocks your ishtadlut many people exert themselves extra to try to make ends meet so they'll get a second job they'll work overtime they'll do extra things in order to make more money and many times that extra effort is not only unnecessary but many times it's actually not rewarding like they thought and they end up losing out of it 
not only they lose time, they lose family time, they lose time in their life, sometimes they even lose money, but most of all, the time that they had to learn Torah, they lose that too. They lose that too. Because they think, no, I I need to go make money. And they don't realize that if you just simply exerted the basic limited effort that you need, you'd still make money. If you're working for the sake of money, work what you need to work, a normal schedule, no problem. Other than that, go learn Torah. As far as your poverty, wealth, success, all of that, that's already decreed on Rosh Hashanah. As the Gemara in Masechet Beitzah and also Masechet Rosh Hashanah, both say it. Both on page 16. Now, the decree, Maxti Ishtadlut, is an understanding that once a Kadosh Baruch decreed that someone will live or not, even if you are a medical expert that has the best cure just like Shmuel had, if the decree was not to heal, that, that healing is not possible, then guess what? It wouldn't work. If a decree from Shemayim was that this person will not live, this sheep is not going to live, this chicken is not going to live, it doesn't matter how much of an expert you were, it's simply not going to happen. So yes, you can do your ishtadlut if it's simply minimal effort. You could put the little uh, thing in our... Uh, thigh and you could put it in their neck and you put this medicine for Rebbe you could do whatever you want to do but don't make it your life why because you're not going to save humanity with this medicine sometimes people get so into certain things that for some reason or another they feel like they are there to save the world this is especially so in the last several years with media being so easy and accessible and so uh, so much of it so many forms of media out there, so many reporters, everybody with a phone has become a journalist and a reporter, even if they don't know how to complete two sentences in a row without making a mistake. And what ends up happening is that many times people see what's happening in the world. So at the time of the coronavirus, all of a sudden everybody became a media expert, a biologist, a chemist, a government official perhaps even a former CIA expert, and maybe, maybe even just someone that there is no definition for. Why? Because everything became a conspiracy. Everything became, I already understand this. I know all of these experts, even though the world never heard of these people before they became experts. Everyone all of a sudden started sharing an abundant amount of information to prove their point whether it's the virus or it's the vaccine or it's the government or it's the new world order or it's whatever other conspiracy was the popular one on, uh, on the internet that day, all of a sudden, everybody became an expert. And they were sharing this information like they're giving you Matan Torah, like it's Moshe Rabbeinu at Mount Sinai. You must hear this. I know you're busy, but you have to hear this. I know you're, you're going through stuff, but you got to listen to this. I know it's only three hours or it's a long time, but you need to hear every word and even repeat. And they were so adamant and, and zealous over it. Now, once that blew over and coronavirus became nonsense and the vaccine became nonsense, 
new things came up. And of course, other conspiracies, other news, other this. And then, of course, everyone got a jolt. When? October 7th. October 7th, the world went crazy. Whether you were Jew or Gentile, you had to know everything there is to know about the Middle East, but all inside of 24 hours. You had to become an expert. And you had to become a military expert. You also had to be a weapons expert, a terrorism expert, a Middle Eastern expert, a Jewish expert, biblical expert, Quran expert, even end-of-world expert, all types of expertise. And you were sharing information. Two, 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 two people became literally free employees for the media you have to hear this you have to hear that you have to hear this and of course they give you some description of every video because you can't just send a link you send a link people think it's a virus so you have to give a little bit of a explanation of why this is so good of why this guy's an expert and how he knew and how she knew and everybody knew and this is what happened and that's what happened and this the world the world is ending the world is not ending this is ending the politics two 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 everybody sharing information sharing 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 now of course this had to get boring after a while so they give you more stuff more stuff on the news whether it's the pedophiles that are out there and being exposed or all types of scams that are happening every day there's something new that you must listen to you must hear you must share you must do you must live by and this is all works of the satan himself why one of the main things that the satan works very hard over very hard surprisingly is not to make you sin that many times people do on their own one of the main things that the satan does is get you to waste time just simply destroy you kill you for another minute another hour another two hours another day watching this nonsensical video wasting your time doing all types of things that don't need to be done they won't help you they won't enlighten you in fact the worst part about it is that somehow it convinces you that you are obligated to waste other people's time by sharing this information and thereby become a pyramid scheme of burning people's life without them even buying anything waste people's time we see it in this week's parasha as well when Moshe Rabbeinu goes and speaks to Am Yisrael and Am Yisrael does not listen why? because of the hard labor that Paro has put upon them they cannot even have the breath to talk they're working so hard Paro is a representation of the Satan he keeps you working sometimes at your job sometimes at your hobbies what the sages are trying to tell us here aside from why waste time in this world for this world but also letting us know that the decree mocks the ishtadlut no matter how many bits of information of news and knowledge that you share 
about this conspiracy or that news item or this thing that's happening or that thing's happening. If something is going to happen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed for it to happen, whether you share this information or not, it's not going to help them. It's not going to help them. You telling people that you found that this recent virus is, a, is, is, is fake or it's real, guess what? It's not going to save anyone that's supposed to die. And it's not going to make anyone die that's not supposed to. You're telling people that there are some people behind the scenes that are controlling the world and they want to take over everything and they're all Satanists and they're all pedophiles and all sick, disgusting creatures. Guess what? Nothing is going to change. They're still going to stay there. And when they get arrested, if they get arrested, they'll be replaced by other crazy people. Why? Because so long as this world exists under this condition before Mashiach, evil will always look like it's winning. When will this end? When Mashiach comes. The only question you should be asking, will I survive once Mashiach comes? You're not going to survive for sharing news, and all types of other nonsense. You will survive if you make your top priority, aside from living life, top priority, sharing and learning Torah. Why? Because that gives life to people. That helps them live life. That helps them learn how to live. But if you're going to continue watching, sharing the news, whatever the news may be, real or not, you are simply becoming a tool of the satan himself to kill people's time because them becoming aware of any bit of information that is not torah is not going to help them in any way shape or form whether there's an alien in florida that's 10 feet tall or there is some ufos that are having lunch with the president or that some of these people that are in the news or in the media are pedophiles none of that is going to help anybody Knowing it is irrelevant. When you kill them, when you arrest them, when you destroy them, when you expose them, they'll simply be replaced. This is also why you're never going to see real Tamidei Chachamim celebrate when the army says, the IDF says, oh, we killed another leader of the terrorist. So he'll be replaced in two seconds. Oh, we killed uh, this one, Muhammad. So... He was replaced by another Muhammad. Oh, we killed his friend Muhammad. Okay, so the other Muhammad is going to be replaced. The decree mocks the Ishtadlut. Why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting your time on this world? If you're going to use your time, use it for something that creates life. Not that's trying to protect people from some unknown danger. That's already decreed in Shemaim. Another thing that is also earth shattering in regards to the ideology that people have is the knowledge that Hashem provides the cure before the ailment. Hashem provides the cure before the ailment. One of the places that we learned this from is Megillat Estel. We saw how in the Megillah, even though HaKadosh whose actual name is, does not show up in the Megillah, 
He's all over the place. We see how he's preparing the cure before the ailment actually happens. The decree itself of Haman trying to destroy Am Yisrael only happens after the cure is completely ready. This is why when a person does not have knowledge of God, they're always worried because they're not aware that the cure exists. They think they need to find it. They don't realize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the cure before the ailment. Now, Rav Shach was once asked if young religious girls from seminar should be taught how to be uh, like uh, an ER. Because there's obviously a need for it on one end. But another end, there's also issues of negia. You know, it's not ideal. Rav Shach says, no. There's no need for the uh, young religious girls to learn how to be in emergency rooms or in ambulances or anything like that. No need. Why? He says, since we have a Masoret, that a Kadosh Baruch Hu gives the cure before the ailment. And therefore, if we don't prepare for the ailment, we won't likely receive the ailment. Meaning that by preparing for some ailment, some tragedy, you're actually bringing on the tragedy. To a certain extent. This doesn't mean that you should be completely irresponsible and go live in a desert by yourself expecting Hashem to feed you man. But the point is, is that if you are going to start making it a whole thing where all of this, all of us are going to study medicine just in case something bad happens. All of us are going to start studying, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, uh, how to be surgeons just in case something bad happens. You're not curing anything. In fact, you're creating damage. This is also why there's a machloket in regards to life insurance. When they came to the Chazonish, our own dear Chazonish over here, and they asked the Chazonish, should you get life insurance? Meaning, should a person get life insurance? Some Chachamim say, yeah, you can get life insurance. There's no problem. I mean, it's not uh, against the Torah. But the Chazonish said otherwise. He says, you shouldn't. You're allowed, but you shouldn't. Why? It's not recommended that you get life insurance because if you don't prepare for the Makkah, you don't prepare for the ailment, it's less likely to happen. And now you're thinking, oh, but what if I die? Then my kids are not going to have any money. No, no, no. You're not understanding. If your kids deserve to be poor then that's what's going to happen with or without insurance. That's going to happen with or without insurance. If your kids don't deserve to be poor, you buying life insurance is actually dangerous. Why? Because if they don't deserve to be poor and you have life insurance, then that means that if you die, they're still not going to be poor. So that means that your, your value of your life is not necessarily as high. On the other hand, if you don't have life insurance and your kids don't deserve to be poor, 
So that means you need to stay alive. They need you. Therefore, you live for longer. That's the logic of a gadol That's the logic of the chazonish. That's the logic of Torah. Now again, it's not against the Torah to buy life insurance. But why are you buying it? If you think it's because the kids are going to be poor, then you have to know. Do they deserve to be poor? Don't deserve to be poor? You don't know that. Right? You don't know whether what's, what's the deen of Shemaim. But you should know that if they don't deserve to be poor, they won't be poor, which means the life insurance is It'll help them, but it won't help you. It won't help you live longer. On the other hand, if they don't deserve it, then you being alive is actually more necessary than life insurance. Now, when a person understands how the logic of the sages works to a certain extent, they start realizing that it's very, very different than other logic, other ideology, other everything. So much so, like we saw in the last week's shoe, how the Ramban told us that the person that has um, rabies, their urine has images of dogs. And he says this is tried and tested. Now again, this is not something you can test every day simply because people are not getting uh, Baruch Hashem. They're not getting rabies. But we all know what he said is true as far as, you know, they're afraid. They claim that there's a dog in water. Everybody has this, uh, you know, uh, hyperdermia that they're afraid of water. The point being here is that the Chachamim say that this is all based on the power of the nefesh. Meaning that when someone thinks of something, feels of something, it actually materializes into a creation. Same concept with paranoia. When someone is paranoid of something, they start thinking of something, they actually give that something life. And anyone that has watched and studied our Bitachon Be'ashem series knows this, that even in the first lecture and throughout the entire 16 Uh, uh, series which has literally changed the lives of countless people maybe more than any other series we've had the first one the Beta Levi says that anxiety is a sin why? you're actually creating the problems you're afraid of because that's the punishment for being anxious that's the the, uh, punishment for not having Emunah and Hashem So when someone is paranoid of something, when someone is anxious of something, the power of their nefesh that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them is actually to bring that thing that they're afraid of to life. And we see that in the rabies example. His fear, and obviously absolute fear of dogs, even changes the way that his body works. What the Chazunish is trying to teach us here is that if the power of the nefesh could influence us in such a negative way, like the rabies example, and like the Betelavi's examples of all types of 
anxieties that a person has that actually bring on what they're afraid of to their life as a measure for measure punishment. Imagine what it can do, that this nefesh can do if you were to use it in a positive way like the sages did. How it could impact your body. A couple of examples to give us food for thought. They said about the Rogachov Gaon, Rabbi Yosef Razin, that if they were to take blood from him, they wouldn't get blood, they would get Yerushalmi because he was so glued to Torah. Now, of course, the average person doesn't understand what I'm saying, so we'll give you an example. In one of the times that uh, Rabbi Yosef Kahneman, Rabbi Yosef Shlomo Kahneman, the Ponovich Rav, came to the United States, he was very ill, and they had to do a blood transfusion here in America. And uh, when the doctor came, the Rav told him, please make sure that the blood that you bring and you want to put in my body is from a Jew that observes Shabbat. Now this non-Jewish doctor has no idea what this rabbi is saying. It's blood, it's blood, it's all red, we're all the same. No, come on, you're being picky now. And of course, I said, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 whatever you want. And he went and he just grabbed anything as long as it has the right blood type and according to medicine it matches. And he brings the blood and of course, Blood is blood on the outside. This is red, that's red. What's the difference? He puts it through the machine and within seconds the rabbi's body starts shaking, convulsing. The machines go wild from something that's supposed to cure him, from something that's supposed to help him. All of a sudden the body's rejecting the blood. They call the chief doctor, what's going on? He immediately tells him, stop it, stop it right away. Life risk, life risk, stop it right away. And then the doctor comes and he says to the rabbi, how did you know? How did you know? How did you know? How? How, does, how do you know that it's not a blood of uh, Shomer Shema Jew? I just took it from anywhere. How did you know? It's not how did you know. Once a person cleaves himself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in his Torah, the impact is not just theoretical, it's not just emotional, it's not just mental, it's a physical change. It's an actual physical change. And one of the great Chidushim that I saw with my own eyes, from the Khatam Sofer, that he says that the sages teach us that when a Gentile converts to Judaism, they're considered like a baby. And many Chachamim say, yeah, they're considered like a baby, spiritually, meaning even if they're 40 years old and they convert to Judaism, now they're considered zero as a Jew. And then a year later, they're one-year-old as a Jew. They're not a 40-year-old Jew. And their account is clean. 
whatever sins they made when during the first 40 years are not relevant to them because they're now Jewish neshama. The Khatam Sofer says, this is not just spiritually speaking. This is also physically speaking. Why? Their body will change. No fools and naysayers and crazy people. No person does not convert and become a baby. But rather, their body starts to change in different ways that no one even imagined. And I've seen this with my own eyes multiple times where you see people literally physically changed. Not look for a change, not expect for a change, but all of a sudden you see this person looks different. The faces change a little bit, become more soft. Their their, uh, just demeanor is changed. And I've even seen some that actually have major paranoias or all types of health issues disappear. Disappear. How? The Khatam Sofer says they become a baby, not just spiritually speaking. Now again, this is, doesn't happen to everybody. This is not a one-size-fits-all. The point being is that when a person cleaves to the Torah and the holy teachings of the sages, they're not cleaving on to a bunch of old men that wrote books. They're not cleaving on to some words in a textbook. They're cleaving to the living God. They're cleaving to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the more you cleave on to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the more you're giving your nefesh more power to actually have an impact on your physiology, on your actual body itself, on your life. And ultimately, on what your eternity is going to look like. So we just learned all of this together. Perhaps we'll apply some of it. Perhaps we'll try more. The sages that knew this, that live this, that taught this, why would they waste any time becoming famous doctors and scientists when they already know everything? and more than what we just learned together. Now you understand several of the reasons of why the sages did not develop all of this expertise even further. There's no reason to waste time building this world for this world if you can use that same time to build your eternity. And what about this world? Curing people, developing medicines. There's 8 billion people in the world. I'm sure one of them is going to want to do it. It doesn't need to be you. Thank you for learning with me. May HaKadosh bless each and every single one of you that learned together with me. And will Bezat Hashem have the success in applying all of this to your life, to becoming more godly, more committed to the Holy Torah, Yes, you can work. Yes, you can live in this world. But don't live just for this life. Live with a plan for eternity. And Bezat Hashem will all succeed. 
any of you that want to donate and help our organization, all the many things that we're doing, please go to our website, bezatashem.org, or if you want to help us with the campaign of uh, bhyeshiva.com, or if you want to do a tikkun, this is the time for tikkun abrit, for the uh, immorality sins that uh, anyone has done in the past, go to tikkunabrit.live. And last but not least, anyone that is in Florida or can come to Florida, this Wednesday we're going to have our live shiur here in Florida. Baruch Hashem. More people have signed up. I believe it's going to be pretty crowded and, uh, and packed. And I'm looking forward to seeing and meeting and learning together with everyone that will attend. Call to Bachabat Slacha. Thank you again for learning with me. asked him what can we do to protect ourselves from Chavrei Mashiach. He says, Torah and Gemilut Chasadim. Even if somebody does a, a nice thing or learns a lot or anything like that, it's never compared to bringing one of Hashem's lost kids that's been lost for the last 3,000 years back home. One of the beautiful things that we have in our organization is that we have both Torah and Zikri Rabin because we have our Kolels, we have our Avrachim, and we also have our Kiruv that we do around the world. Our lectures reach every corner of the world, Baruch Hashem, in multiple languages, but of course, we always want to do even more. while we have Kiruv work that we've done throughout the whole year, we also have the Torah that we're constantly producing more and more of, and last but not least, the Chesed uh, to feed the poor people in Israel. A very special thank you to all our amazing guests who show real Avat Yisrael by taking the time out of their busy schedule and sharing their ups and downs with us, all for the sake of Avat Yisrael. Yirgun Be'ezrat Hashem, Olech Lechalek, Me'ot Salem Mazon, 
One of the big things that we have, aside from this campaign, you probably see this poster or something similar to it, is also we published some of the recent results that we have, or at least up to now, of the organization. And one of the reasons why we do this each year is because we want to make sure that our partners, our donors, our Talmidin, know where their money is going. Unlike everybody else that, you know, uh, says a lot, does a lot, we want to show you what these results are. I can tell you from my experience and a little bit of knowledge about the whole Torah world, I don't know of anybody else, uh, any other organization on planet Earth that produces dollar for dollar what we've produced over these last few years. This is nothing to be arrogant about. It's simply Siat Bishmaya Kadosh who helped us. We made every sacrifice that we can possibly make in order to, to make it happen. Producing nearly 300 films, publishing 32 books, our own books, giving out 154,000 books for free. Giving out 154,000 books is not a cheap endeavor. Anyone that wants to do such a thing has to be completely committed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to his children, and most importantly, to have bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his Torah. We also have fed over 160,000 people over these last several years. Each year, during Pesach, the high holidays, throughout the year, we help a lot of people eat, help make sure that they have groceries, food, all types of things, and uh, you guys have seen many of the videos that are uh, that we've produced over the years to actually show you the people that are getting this food. You have here 160,000 people have eaten, nearly 300 Torah films, and then on top of all of it, we have 1.4 million USB CDs and cards that have been giving out for free. All of the work that we've done over the last 10 years on these USBs given out for free. Last but not least, 12,000 video and audio lectures available online in about 14 different languages for the world to watch for free. ארגון בעזרת השם לקח על עצמו את אחת המטרות הקשות ביותר בדור שלנו לתקן עולם במלכות שדי לא להסתפק במשהו אחד לעזור רק לאנשים מסכנים רק לאנשים ניצולי שואה רק לאנשים שלא מכירים את אלוקים רק לאנשים שאין להם כלום בבית אלא לעזור לכלל ישראל בכל מכל ברוך השם, חפץ השם בידינו הצליח למעלה ממיליון יהודים ויהודיות נעזרו על ידי ארגונים בעזרת השם. רק תדמיינו לכם איזה עוצמה היה לכל אחד ואחת מהשותפים שזכו להיות כל אחד כפי כוחו ויכולתו, לאיזה תוצאות הצליחו להגיע ולאיזה תוצאות עוד יצליחו. פורים שמח על לראות את השלטים, נעלה עכשיו למעלה, כמו הקצת האש, את הלימוד. ברוכים הבאים, אפשר לראות כאן. כולם יושבים לומדים, איזה רעש של תורה, איזה רעש, איזה רעש, והנה יש פה עוד בית מדרש, וגם פה יש, השם הכל עמוס. הדמיון הזה הוא לא דמיון כל כך רחוק, כי כמו שהתורה אומרת, בפיך ובלבבך לעשותו, ככה גם בדבר הזה. כל מי שירצה, כל מי שרוצה או רוצה להיות שותפים איתנו, עם הארגון הקדוש והנפלא הזה, שכל כוונתו לשם שמיים, להגדיל תורה ולהאדירה, להרים קרן התורה, לעזור לכל אחד ואחד מעם ישראל, בכל העניינים. כל המישורים, מהילד הכי קטן שצריך מטרנה וטיטולים, עד האיש הכי 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 מבוגר 
שלעולם לא הניח תפילין, ורגע לפני המוות דואגים להניח לו תפילין. אם גם אתם רוצים להיות שותפים בכאלה דברים גדולים, בעשייה של תורה ועבודה וגמילים חסדים, ברוך השם, ארגון בעזרת השם, כאן, לצדכם, לשירותכם, יחד עם כלל ישראל. כמעט מיליון וחצי דיסקים, דיסקונקים, שחילקנו, כל הדברים האלה בחינם, יותר מ-12 אלף שיעורים, אז כל הדברים האלה, מתי שבן אדם רואה כמה ההשקעה שלו, אם זה בבתים, מניות, בכל מיני דברים, והוא רואה שהמניה עלתה 10% במקום אחד, ו-1,000% במקום שני, אז הוא מבין איפה להשקיע פעם הבאה. ואותו דבר פה, יש הרבה אנשים שברוך השם צופים את השיעורים שלנו, שיעורים של הרב אפרים, שיעורים של הרב שרביט, ושאר הרבנים והארגון, ועכשיו זה הזמן להיות שותפים בדבר הגדול שאנחנו עושים ברוך השם. One of the reasons why we do this, why we show these numbers, is because we want to show everyone what we've done to give you an indication. An indication of what we can do in the future. So this is the time where we need as much of your help as possible to push yourself more than you typically do. If you typically donate a couple hundred dollars, donate a thousand. If you, uh, if you can afford uh, the uh, uh, 8,000, 15,000, 50,000, whatever you can afford, this is the time to do it because this is going to be the help that we have to help all of these Avachim, to feed these people and perhaps Bezat Hashem one day to get that building that we've been uh, wanting to, uh, to build here in, uh, in the United States to build a community. But the, all of these things require millions of dollars. If not now, then when?